If you would grab a Bible, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. And we'll start our time of study in that place. 1 Peter 5. We'll be reading from there in just a moment. It is good to see you. And uh, we'll want to say hello and thank you for being here to those who are visiting with us and those who are joining us online. Uh, we're glad that you're here. And we'd love to get to know you. If there is a way that we can be in touch with you or if you can stick around for a few minutes after we're done, we'd love to talk with you and uh, get to know you a little better. If there's some way we can serve you, or something we can do to help you draw closer to God, please let us know about that. We'd be happy to be of service to you in spiritual things. But thank you for joining us this morning. I want to read beginning in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Sometimes you read a Bible verse for the hundredth time and something new strikes you. And that happened to me as I read this verse. As you know, uh, those who are in my class on Wednesday night, we just got through with 1 Peter, and uh, we read through 1 Peter several times uh, in the course of that class. And uh, this verse, verse 6, there is a phrase where Peter says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that in my version it says, at the proper time. Yours might say something like, in due time, he will exalt you. And that phrase just jumped out at me, and so I started looking into it. And the Greek word that's used here for time has an interesting nuance. It is not just the normal word for time. It is a word that sometimes means the right time. So translators know that it wouldn't make any sense in this verse to just say, God will exalt you at the time. There has to be something that says it's, it's at a certain time, at the proper time, at the due time, at the right time. So God doesn't just exalt the humble at just any time. Nor does he do it all the time. He exalts the humble at the proper time, at the right time. I did some work on how this word is used in the New Testament. And I was amazed at how many times this word is used to describe God's plan for time. So here are a couple. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5 and verse 6. Or, this is Galatians 6 and verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. In due season. At the right time. God has a plan and he acts according to that plan. So what we would say then is that God is never late. There is a quote from the Lord of the Rings. And I hope you'll pardon me quoting the Lord of the Rings. It's one of my favorite movies. I don't normally do anything about movies. But when I came across this verse and started thinking about this idea, I just couldn't get out of my head. The wizard Gandalf says when he is accused of being late, he says, a wizard is never late. He arrives precisely when he means to. I'm not suggesting that God is a wizard. I want us to spend our time examining the idea that God is never late, that he arrives precisely when he means to. And that's going to have some applications to how we think about our personal pain, how we think about our different life circumstances, how we think about the state and the fate of our nation, and ultimately, the fate of our world. So I want to think about that in three ways. The first is that God saves at the right time. When you think about all of the great acts of salvation that the Bible describes God achieving, all of them involve the concept of having to wait and time passing before God acts. So God saves Jacob's family from a famine by preserving the line through Joseph and Joseph's acts in Egypt, but a lot of time passes before that salvation is achieved. 
God delivers the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. God saves the people from oppression over and over again by giving them judges. God brings the people back from Babylonian captivity, helps them rebuild the temple and the walls. And in every case, there was hardship and suffering that the people had to go through, but God was never late. This is Exodus 12 and verse 40. It describes the deliverance of the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. It says the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. I want to point out a couple of things here. First, God kept his word. God had promised that he was going to bring the people out of Egypt. He promised it to Abraham, and he said he would do it in 400 years. Now, I understand there's 430 years, 400 years. So you, there's some moving around with the numbers because we don't know precisely when they begin, and the counting begins. But the point is, God kept his word and did exactly what he would say. He saved the people like he said he would save the people. But the other thing I want to point out is, it sure must have looked like God was late to all the people living in those 430 years. Think about it. How many generations of Israelites had to live in Egyptian slavery before God would finally act? What if that was you? What if you lived in that time where you knew, you know, there were whispers of, you know, wow, it's been 200 years ago now. God said he would do something, but I, I don't know. Eventually, don't you live long enough that you just sort of give that up as a lost cause? Yeah, I mean, there was some talk about that, but all I know is, My parents, my grandparents, they just worked all their lives for the Egyptians. I guess that's probably what we'll end up doing. Eventually, you lose hope. And I want to remind you that God saved exactly as he said he would because God always saves at the right time. God is never late. That does not mean that we always understand why God acts in the time that he does and why he waits. In this case, God actually tells us. He tells Abraham the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Well, that, that might satisfy in some way our curiosity, but they don't necessarily know that when they're living in Egypt. In the New Testament, Peter tells us that the Lord is waiting because he wants more to come to repentance. But you know what? In our specific context, when we have a need, when we're calling on God to save us and help us, we don't always know why God waits. And we may never know why God waits. But God is not late. God always saves at the right time. Let's go to the book of Habakkuk for a moment. Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk is one who struggles with this. He is one of many in the Old Testament who struggles with this. I'm going to have to stop talking so that I can find the book of Habakkuk. Somewhere there is a, uh, one of my Bible class teachers from when I was five or seven years old. had the little train on the top of the, the wall with all the books of the Bible on it that I have to thank for being able to find the book of Habakkuk today. But uh, I cannot do it while I'm talking. Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk is one of many who struggles with the idea of why is God waiting to do something about the situation I'm in. Habakkuk 1 and verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surrounds the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Notice his question in verse 2. How long 
Well, I cry and you don't listen. Where are you? Why won't you see, save me? Why won't you leave me out in the cold? Habakkuk is just one of a long list of faithful lamenters in Scripture. People who are asking God, where are you? We believe in you, we need you, and you're not showing up. This is just a few of them. Psalm 13 and verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 119, 84, How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? And then in Revelation 6 and verse 10, The souls under the altar, those who have been martyred. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These are serious questions. How long are we going to suffer righteous people being persecuted and killed and you do nothing? You don't stop it. You don't avenge it. And there is that hope that all believers in God have that someday God will act on our behalf and deliver us the way he has delivered so many before in the past. And yet the question is, well, why not now? How long? I want you to notice how God answers Habakkuk. First he tells him, Don't worry, Habakkuk, I'm on it. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. That's in chapter 1 and verse 6 of Habakkuk. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. And then Habakkuk has a little heartburn about that. Well, I'm not sure that's what I was going for. Uh, the, The Babylonians are worse than we are. How is it that they're going to come punish us and judge us? And then God tells him, well, after that, I'm going to judge Babylon as well. Look in chapter 2 of Habakkuk in verse 2. Habakkuk 2 and verse 2. It says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Habakkuk, he says, you need to warn people because this will happen. In verse 2, you write it down so that they may run who read it. They get it run away is the sense. But not only that, he says in verse 3, it is waiting, it's appointed time. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come. So this is God's answer to how long. God's answer is, I'm on it, Habakkuk. I see what you're going through. I'm going to act, I'm going to act at the appointed time. If it seems slow, if it's not to your liking, you just wait on it because it will happen. So sometimes God makes promises, like the promises he made to Abraham. And those promises take a long time to come to pass. But God is never late. And sometimes God will even tell the time. Jeremiah says the people are going to be 70 years in Babylonian captivity. But you know what happens after 70 years? The people slowly start to trickle back. It's not as if a massive wave, an exodus comes back to the land. It's instead a trickle of exiles who then are weak in a a difficult position in the land. And yet, even when God acts according to a timetable, God is never late. But you know, for you and me, what that means is sometimes we wait for God to answer our prayers. And we express our confusion to God. I know that I'm asking for the right things. I know you can do this. I don't understand why you are not doing it. We want relief or we want help or we want strength. But what we can know is that while God can say no or God can say a little later, what is not happening is that God is late. He saves at just the right time. And I want to add this before we leave this point. That also may mean that sometimes you and I never see the salvation that we crave and ask for. We may not see it. Think about it. A lot of people lived, were born, grew up, and died. 
in Egyptian slavery. And they never saw what God had promised. Think about those people who died in the siege of Jerusalem or who died in Babylon. Think about those people who prayed for the Messiah and waited for 400 years for God to speak anything. And yet they died before he came. Here's what I'm trying to say with that. Our culture is trying to tell us that what's most important about us is that we get the things that we want and we live the life of our dreams and that we achieve everything we could possibly hope for. We need to understand that while God loves us dearly, his plans about time are bigger than me or you or any one person. He is bigger than us. And it may be that God waits or delays longer than we would like. But we need to learn some humility in thinking this way about God. We are not the only important or even the most important person in the world. But whatever we decide about all of that, we cannot decide that God is late because God is never late. He acts at the right time. Second, God sent Jesus at the right time. We already read, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But in that passage, it's a little more about the right time because it was when we were in need. We were still sinners. And so it was at the time we needed. But what I want to talk about for just a moment here is that there is a messianic timetable that Jesus talks about and the scriptures discuss that is about God acting at just the pivotal moment. Let's go to Galatians 4. Paul talks about this in Galatians 4. And he expresses this in terms of the time. Galatians 4 and verse 4. It says, Galatians 4, 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So he says, when the fullness of time had come, when everything was just exactly where God wanted and needed it to be, at the perfect point in history, Then God acted. Then God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In that era, in that culture, God did it just the way it should have been done. Many people have talked about, I've not talked about it before, because I think there is not a way we can exhaust all the ideas involved in the fullness of time. But many people have talked about the rich possibilities here, that in that era, the significance of Roman roads or the significance of a universal language in Greek or the idea of free passage between places because of the Roman power. All of those things could be about how God said the perfect time, the fullness of time for me to send my son. I don't know about all of that. I can't exhaust all of that. What I can say is God wasn't late. God sent Jesus just when he should, just when he intended to at the fullness of time. But that also implies, as I've said, that 400 years passed between Malachi and Matthew in which a lot of time passed. A lot of people lived and died and God chose not to act because he was waiting for the right time, the fullness of time. And that's the reason why when Jesus does come, his ministry begins with this powerful, energetic expression Mark 1 and verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The fullness of time is here. Everything is ready. It's time. 
God sent Jesus at just the right time. Go with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. I want to spend just a moment looking through how Jesus talks about the time. In John, he talks about it usually as the hour, his hour. I want you to see how Jesus is really focused on God's timetable for him. In John 2 and verse 4, this is that odd exchange that Jesus and his mother have at the wedding where she tells him, hey, they ran out of wine, wink, wink. And Jesus says, John 2 and verse 4, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. It's not time. Turn with me a few pages over to John chapter 7. In John 7 and verse 5. Jesus' brothers now come to him and a little mockingly say, Hey, Jesus, if you're such a big deal, you should go up to Jerusalem. Because they knew, of course, that others were seeking to hurt and kill him. Go up to Jerusalem and make yourself known to the world. John 7 and verse 5, For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, but I testif- because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. We can say more about that in this scene, but I, I want you to hear Jesus focus on the time. My time, the time is fulfilled. Now my hour has not yet come. My time has not yet fully come. Now let's go over to John 12. In John 12, there is a moment here where the Gentiles approach Jesus, and it appears that that's the signal for Jesus. I know now my time has come. John 12 and verse 23, it says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. Down in verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Verse 31, John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. All right. I know we just read a lot of verses, said a lot of words. Hear Jesus' perspective. He is focused on God's timing. My hour has not yet come. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. Now it's time. Now I'm ready. Now I know. Now the ruler of the world is cast out. Now I'm going to be lifted up and draw all peoples to myself. Now God's plan comes further to fruition. Jesus does not leave the world early. He does not stay too long. He arrives precisely when he means to. He is not late. God sends Jesus at just the right time. Jesus is focused on doing things in just the right time. And you know, even the apostles' preaching is done at the right time. This is Titus 1. It says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been instructed by the command of God our Savior. Even the preaching is done at the proper time. Everything just the way God planned it. What I want to show you from this when we talk about Jesus coming at the right time, is the importance of acknowledging God's timetable rather than our own. Jesus does everything the way God expects him to. The Father is his concern. He humbles himself before God. In other words, Jesus doesn't try to cram God into his life and his plans and his timing. He reforms his life and plans and timing around God's will. So one thing we can be sure of, and Jesus is a perfect example of it, God was not late. He didn't wait too long. He didn't come too early. He acted in the fullness of time at just the right time. And the third thing I want to show you 
is that Jesus will return at the right time. We touched on this already. Remember, we started by saying, Peter saying, that God will exalt the humble at the proper time or in due time. And we talked about how in due time we will reap if we don't lose heart. Those promises look forward to the return of Jesus. And the scriptures tell us over and over again that Jesus is going to return. But Jesus is not going to be late. He's not going to wait too long. He's not going to come too soon. He will come at precisely the right time, the proper time. Let's go to 2 Peter 3. Peter talks about this here because there, of course, are concerns when we have to be the ones waiting for Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 3. So in this text, Peter warns that some people are going to start worrying and mocking, scoffing, that Jesus is late. That's in verse 4, 2 Peter 3 and verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So some people are going to say Jesus is late. Where is he? I thought he was supposed to come back. Listen to Peter's response. I want to start in verse 8. First, 2 Peter 3 and verse 8. He says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So first, when addressing this question of, is Jesus late? Is it taking too long for him to come back? He says in verse 8, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. In other words, God doesn't look at time the way you do. God is bigger than time. God can use a thousand years and shrink it down or one day and make it like a thousand years. God is just outside of time in a way that we cannot comprehend. It's beyond us. But then he reassures in verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill this promise. He's not late. He hasn't forgotten. He didn't get busy and have other things to do. He said, oh, yeah, I was supposed to come back. Hmm. Instead, he says in verse 9, he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, what seems like lateness is actually patience. So instead of being doubtful, we should be grateful. Because, by the way, that's not just a passage that talks about people in the world that God is waiting on. It's also a passage that includes us. That while we lived in rebellion against God, before we came to Christ, we were all a part of that. And the only reason that we can say, I can praise God and I can thank God that I am saved, is because he was patient. Because he didn't come back yet. And so in that way, God's plan is exactly where he wants it to be. And then he reminds in verse 10, this will happen. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will melt and the heavenly bodies will be burned up. And all of these things will be destroyed. Jesus will return, and with it will be the destruction of the world as we know it. I have to say, this passage resonates with me. Because don't we wonder this? Don't we wonder sometimes, you know, is this real? Am I really, is this really going to happen? After all, 
The world has always been the way I know the world to be. As long as I've been alive, it's been the same. And I look backward in history, and really since the time of Jesus, it's always kind of been the same. So, we begin to wonder, is this all true? Or did something get lost in the shuffle? Peter is clear. Jesus is not late. He will come back at the proper time, at the right time. And that bedrock assurance means that we live in a different way. That's what Peter takes it in verse 11, that we live lives of holiness and godliness, that we wait for and hasten the coming of the day of the Lord, that we're excited about it. We know he will return. We know the good things that will follow, and that is our hope. We have a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Jesus will return, and he will return at the proper time because God is never late. Now, that may mean that we die before that time. We don't have any assurance of anything about that. It may mean that nations fall apart or rise and fall, that life as we know it changes drastically. And it may mean that we struggle with that. How do we live with that? But isn't that the way people have always lived? Instead of thinking that that's God's fault, that is instead the way of the world. But we need to remember that God's timetable is still on. So I want to give you a couple of ideas to take this lesson. I know it's sort of an abstract idea about God and time. But it does matter for a couple of reasons. First of all, we have to learn to wait for the Lord. Knowing this fact about God, particularly that his sense of time and our sense of time are not always in sync. We are going to have to learn to wait. There are so many psalms that teach this, that just say, wait for the Lord, in different contexts, too. Sometimes it's a national context where they're in trouble. Sometimes it's a personal context where I'm in need. And so I have to tell myself, wait for the Lord. The Lord will come in his time. And so we need, first of all, to think about our own personal deliverances. You know, we have our crises, we have family crises, we have money problems, we have sin problems, we have relationship problems, we have church problems. We've got all these problems. And so what we do as the people of God, we pray to God and we say, God, I need your help. And we say, God, I need you to act in some way. I need you to end this problem. I need you to help this. I need you to work on this. I need something. And then we must learn to wait for the Lord. He may not act precisely when we think he should. He may not do precisely what we think he should. But he is not late. He is not forgotten. He is not indifferent. He cares about us. And so he says, cast your anxieties on me because I care for you. The other part of waiting for the Lord is about the return of Jesus ultimately. That is, Christians are a forward-looking people. We're told to set our hope fully on the grace that's to be revealed in us. Like the wise virgins, we're prepared to wait as long as it takes for the master to return. We're not going to be deterred. We're not going to be discouraged. We're not going to give up. We will hold vigil for the master. But we have to learn the discipline of waiting. And in fact, I wonder if God doesn't use waiting in these small things in our lives... Like when we wait and, and we are passionate and prayerful about a solution to some of the problems we experience right now with a virus and with unrest in our country. I wonder if God doesn't use waiting there to teach us about waiting for him. Because we must learn to wait. The second thing is, 
Because God is never late, we have to learn to use our time well. Interesting thing, studying this topic this week. Sometimes God expects us to be able to understand our times. Jesus gets on to people about that. When Jesus is here, he says, how is it you can read the, the sky and tell when it's going to rain, but you can't understand the time, signs of the times? That word times is the right time. Or he says, you know, he, he weeps over Jerusalem because you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't see it. You didn't understand it. It's a question that makes me wonder, well, what, what is our time about? The time that we're living in. I think that now is a time to show the world that we have a hope that is not dependent on politicians and governments. That we have a hope that's not about viruses and cures and medicines. That we have a hope that's not dependent on wealth or poverty. And so we're not going to go up and down with the currents of this life. It makes me wonder, how are we sharing and living the gospel in this moment right now? Because people are wondering and watching and looking to us the way they always do. And so that leads me to ask the question, are we using our time well? Since we know that we have a finite amount of time, that God is active in time, we need to commit to using it well. Ephesians 5, 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And then Colossians 4, 5 uses the same phrase, but walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Both of those are the idea. One of them is about walking wisely, using your time well because you only have so much of it. The other is about you only have so many opportunities when you're dealing with people who are not believers. Use those times well. And I especially want to emphasize that with a sense of God's focus on time and acting in the proper time, we need to be careful about wasting time. There is a story, for time's sake, we're not going to read it. But I would encourage you to think about it, and if you have time this week, study it. It's a story in which Jesus tells about a steward who is going to be fired because he's been wasting his master's goods. And so he knows that the axe is going to fall. And so what he does is he rushes around. It lights a fire under him. And he rushes around to all the man's clients and he says, hey, cut, let me cut you a deal. Let me cut you a deal because he wants these clients, after he gets fired, to help him out. I know it's a strange story. It's a strange little parable. People have struggled with it through the years. But it seems to me that one of the main points Jesus is making is that when we properly understand that there is an end to our time, it should light a fire under us. That we only have so much. So what are we doing? If we knew that the end was coming like that man does, wouldn't we get busy? Wouldn't we be diligent? Wouldn't we be focused? In the same way, while we wait for Jesus, we don't have to wait to act for Jesus. We can be busy doing his things. So since we serve a God who is never late, we need to learn to use our time well the way he does, to look for opportunities to act at just the right time the way he does. So I want you to think about how you're using your time and reflect on that through the week. Would you pray with me about that? Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you so much for this time that you've given us to think about 
uh, something that may be challenging to us as we live with difficulty and hardship. Father, I pray that you'll help us to think more deeply about you and about the way you use time and the way you act in your good time. And Father, help us to learn to trust your timing over our own. Help us to learn to be patient and humble, to understand, Father, that you will act in in the time that is right and in the way that is right. Father, give us the patience and the humility to understand and accept that. Father, I pray also that you will help us this week to live knowing that our time is short and that we want to make the best use of the time that you give us. Help us, Father, to be busy in growing closer to you, in influencing others toward what is right, and in living out your will so that the world will know that we belong to you and will be drawn to you. Father, we pray that you'll use us this week and help us to use this week for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the invitation. That's the time that we set aside for us to sing a song that is inviting to you so that if you have a need that we can help you with, you can come and make that need known to us. If you're someone who has never been a Christian and you're interested in taking those first steps to becoming a disciple of Jesus, we'd love to talk with you more about that and study with you about that. If you're ready this morning, to be baptized into Christ, we'd love to help you do that. If there is any need that you have, please come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.